Hello and welcome to episode 89 of the Corinne Nidja podcast. I'm your host, Corinne Nidja, and I have a head cold, so excuse my stuffy nose today. Uh, I think it's just filled with dust from my long weekend camping with the kids over the Easter break, which is when this was recorded. <laughs> so it's not going to be at the same time as when you're listening. Yes, I'm a bit stuffy. If you haven't listened before, this podcast is where I share people's incredible stories of recovery after adopting a low-fat, whole-food, plant-based diet. If you scroll back through the episodes, you will hear stories from people who overcome Hashimoto's disease, multiple sclerosis, heart disease, diet, type 2 diabetes, arthritis, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, endometriosis, polycystic ovarian syndrome, and so many other conditions, asthma, along with doctors and experts who are providing the science to back up these stories to help give them more credibility to help people who are listening who may be skeptical to say okay there isn't just this isn't just the anecdotes of of people who've just miraculously had a recovery this there's science behind this diet lots of science now it is the optimal diet for human health i am so so passionate about it as everyone who's a long time listener knows and I was so excited about interviewing this week's guest. <sighs> yeah, I was very excited. And I, I'm, I am a fangirl when it comes. I used to love Eddie Vedder from Pearl Jam when I was 15. And I loved him so much. I wanted to marry him. And nowadays, <laughs> I don't get fangirly about rock stars, you know, like Kurt Cobain or all those people, Dave Grohl, I get I get fangirly now about, although Keanu Reeves is still pretty, pretty on my list. But today, these days I get fangirly about doctors, not romantic fangirly. So I don't mean it like that. I just mean people who I just would be so excited, Beatles excited to meet in person. And so many of my guests I feel that way about. And then after I speak to people who've shared their recovery stories, I become that way about them, their number one fan. You know, I'm a number one fan of Rebecca Stonor, of Amanda Fisher, of Adam Guthrie, of Andrew Taylor, of Hermione, of Joyce Hale, of so, you know, every single, Tony Confer, of Mark Ramirez, of all the guests who've been on this show. They just make my heart sing. I just, I just am so in love with them. I'm in love with their dedication to their health, their dedication and commitment and passion and drive to spread this message of hope to their communities and to the people that they love and care for. I just get so excited by it all because every single one of the people on this show, they, they touch people's lives and they spread a ripple around them that increases the health of the people around them because you become the five people that you spend the most time with. And these people, whoever they're touching, they're helping change their health forever. And with doctors like Corbel Esserson or T. Colin Campbell or Dean Ornish or Doug Lyle or the list just goes on and on, Michael Clapper, there's so many people, Michael Greger, that are out there with huge platforms and they are touching so many lives. And it doesn't matter if you 
have a Facebook following of two or none, you don't have social media at all, you're still touching lives with the person at your grocery store when they look in your shopping cart and they see that it's an abundance of whole plant foods or the person at the school picnic when you're dropping off your kids whole food plant-based lunch or when you're opening your when your child is opening up their lunchbox and their friends are sitting around them and your child has a rainbow of abundance in their lunchbox you're touching those children at in the playground every single time you eat or purchase a a, a carrot or you talk about how you're eating and why you're eating this way, you are spreading a ripple to everyone who is listening and watching and they are listening and watching. And that's why this movement keeps growing the way at the rate that it is growing. So thank you all for whatever you do and thank you so much to all the guests who come on my show. That was a ramble as always. But... <laughs> But as you know, I just love talking about this and I'm just so hopeful for the day when everyone is eating this way and everyone is thriving and feeling so wonderful because healthy, thriving people tend to be happier, kinder, more joyful and loving and giving people and and that's the way we're going to change the world and help the planet and the animals and help us all work together in harmony and live together in harmony. So without further ado, I will tell you about my fangirl experience today. He's also a rock star and you can check him out at Carbon Works on YouTube. And But he's also an incredible doctor, author, pioneer, just everything wonderful. Diabetes expert, Dr. Neil Barnard. So Dr. Daniel Barnard, if you don't know, I met him at this year's first ever Doctors for Nutrition conference, which was held here in February. And it was wonderful. So it was a nutrition in medicine conference and it was so good. Get your tickets for next year today. <laughs> Whenever they go on sale, it's Melbourne's it's Melbourne's version of a Nutrition in Healthcare Conference, and it's so, so good. It goes over three days, and I got so much out of it. Thank you, Lucy and Helen, as always. Lucy Stegley and Helen Rocks, who are the co-founders of Doctors for Nutrition. Check out their website at doctorsfornutrition.org. That is a incredible um, not-for-profit charity that is now here in Australia that is helping spread this message of nutrition in healthcare to doctors and the general public, and it's just such an important, important um, organisation that is going to change the face of healthcare here in Australia. So I'm so excited for them. But that is where I met Dr. Neil Barnard, and I asked him. I ran after him like a fan, <laughs> chased him down as he was trying to exit the building. <laughs> and I'm sorry, Dr. Neil Barnard, but. I desperately wanted to get you on the show and he so kindly agreed and so I'm very excited to have him here today talking to us. He is a physician, clinical researcher, author and an adjunct associate professor of medicine at the George Washington University School of Medicine and Health Sciences. He established the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, PCRM, which you can search for online and you can find all about Dr. Neil Barnard there at PCRM, and that was in 1985, to promote 
preventative medicine, conduct clinical research and advocate for higher ethical standards in research. And he has continued to do that since 1985. It has grown and he has helped so many people through its subsidiary, which is the Barnard Medical Centre, where he works with patients with diabetes, obesity, chronic conditions such as multiple sclerosis, heart disease, all of those kinds of things. And with clinical research that is aiming to improve the prevention and treatment of these health problems. Now, this is such important, important work because if you're like me and you've been to pretty much any doctor um, across the globe and you talk about nutrition, still it can be tricky because they, for me personally, they would say there's no science to diet, improving chronic disease or improving multiple sclerosis and Neil is creating that science in inverted commas. He is doing that clinical research. He is improving, helping, his research is helping to improve and the prevention and treatment of chronic diseases. And that research will and is spilling out into the mainstream medical community, especially with every single person like yourself who sp- helps to sp- spread that message online, who helps to share it with your own community, who helps to support the works of doctors like this via social media or in any way that you can, attending conferences, all of those kinds of things. So he has written so many books, including The Cheese Trap. So if you have a family member who is hooked on cheese and you can't get them off consuming the bovine growth fluid, (laughs) congealed bovine growth fluid that they love so much, The Cheese Trap is a great book to gift them for Christmas to tell them, you know, you think that it's just that you love it, but you are addicted to it. It explains more of how dairy affects our bodies, how it damages our health, you know, where it comes from, what it's for, how it, it's great. It's a great, great book. He has so many more and I'm so excited because he is putting out another book that's coming out in 2020. It's all about hormones and those types of issues. It's going to be so good. I'm so excited for it. And he's coming on the show before the launch of that book to talk all about that book specifically. And I'm really, really, really looking forward to that. But in the meantime, he also has a book, a very, very, very short book called Vegan Starter Kick. And that is super quick. You can read it in a day and that will give you everything you need to really make the switch to a whole food plant-based diet for your health, uh, for the planet, for the animals. Definitely worth reading. Now, he has so many apps as well, and I'm mentioning them all at the start because just in case you are you hang up at the end of his talk and you miss the, uh, the outro, definitely check out his Kickstart program. It's a free app. His 21-day vegan Kickstart, nutritioncme.org for information for doctors and health professionals. Check out the International Conference of Nutrition held over in the United States in Washington. That's going to be in July. Get your tickets, fly over there, mingle with all the my favourite plant-based celebrities like Dr. Colin Campbell, Dr. Neil Barnard, Dr. Michael Greger, all those, Dr. Esselstyn, everyone who we all know and love and want to have a selfie with. All his books are available on Amazon or wherever you buy your books, so check them out. His books on preventing diabetes. There's so many great books. He is a diabetes expert, so his books on that subject are going to, uh, you know, I haven't actually read them. Sorry, Dr. Neil Barnard. But definitely read those ones too and, and buy them for your family and friends. And you can follow PCRM 
on all the social media platforms. So definitely do that because there's so much great, great, great gold to be found at their website and I'm sure in their posts on social media as well. So, oh my gosh, I have a, I wish I didn't have a cold for this interview because I just found it very difficult to think, but I did my very best and, and, and Dr. Neil Barnard was absolute, absolutely incredible at providing so much goodness in this episode. So you will absolutely be left feeling like you got your absolute money's worth from this episode because he just gave us so much great information on type 2 diabetes, type 1 diabetes, on dairy, on on transitioning to a whole food plant-based diet, on how saturated fat contributes to the development of type 2 diabetes and how removing it helps to can help to prevent and reverse the disease. It's just so much. Yeah, I I really can't wait to share it with you. So here is the wonderful Dr. Neil Barnard. Thank you all so much for listening. I'm just going to say, please, please, please share this with your friends and family on social media because this episode has so much that will benefit so many people. So Thank you all for listening. And yes, definitely please share this as far and as wide as you can. Share it on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter, wherever you put your eyes on social media. Share that. Share it there because this information is going to save lives and it is saving lives every single day. So you could also be saving a life just by sharing this information. So thanks again and enjoy the show. Hello, Dr. Neil Barnard. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you for including me in the program. Oh, I'm so happy to have you on the show. Longtime fan. And I remember my first book that I borrowed of yours from the library, but now I have it to keep, was The Cheese Trap. So I'm very, feel like I'm with a celebrity <laughs> sitting with you today. So thank you so much. Well, it's a pleasure. So I guess for anyone who hasn't heard of you before, but I think most of my listeners would have because we're super whole food plant-based fans of their lifestyle and the, the doctors and experts who've been pioneering this movement for so long. But those listeners who haven't heard of you, can you tell us a bit about yourself and your work? Sure. Um, I'm a doctor. I'm here in Washington, D.C. Uh, we have an organization called the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. And the idea is that doctors who in the past really were not terribly savvy with nutrition, um, actually have quite a lot to contribute to this. And so we do clinical research studies where we help people to adopt healthier diets and we see how they do. Um, we have a lot of educational programs and I write books and stuff like that. Um, I have to say though, this was not how I started. Um, I grew up in North Dakota, which is um, kind of cowboy country. And um, I ate a typical unhealthy American diet, and uh, happily, I managed to stumble into a better way of thinking about things and have been quite uh, impressed by what diet changes can do. And, and that's true in every way. Um, they're, they're obviously better for health, and of course, they're better for the environment and for animals and every other thing, and I'm only embarrassed that I didn't figure this out earlier. So. Me too, me too. I was 30 one when I made the connection for the animals and the planet and I and I always think gosh as I meet people now young people who 
have been vegan or whole food plant-based since they were, you know, in their teens. And I think, oh my gosh, where was I? (laughs) Why didn't I think of this? Better late to the party than never. That's right. That's right. And so when you were first, you know, making the switch to a whole food plant-based way of eating, how was that within your profession? And, you know, how was that received? Um, I think doctors just really weren't thinking about these things very much. At the time, and I think we could we could be perhaps forgiven for that in a way, because at the time, nutrition was not considered a particularly strong force. The idea was if a person had high cholesterol level, if they would switch from beef to chicken, their cholesterol might fall, and it doesn't fall very much, and so the patient ends up on drugs anyway. And so I think a lot of doctors thought, what's the point? Uh, if a patient had diabetes, and they might say, okay, they've got too much sugar in the blood, so let's stop eating sugar or not eat things like bread that turn to sugar. And the results there were pretty disappointing too. So I think doctors might have thought, why bother um, with diet? You know, they would give lip service to it, but they wouldn't go very far. However, um, everything started to change when people started testing diets that really worked. I'm talking about people like Dean Ornish when he would bring in people who had heart disease and he didn't fool around. I mean, he wasn't putting them on a diet that was white meat instead of red meat or, you know, slightly trimming fat. He took, he took the animal products pretty much out of the diet and he got patients to snuff out the cigarettes and, and to lace up their sneakers and really live a healthy lifestyle. And he showed that instead of just slowing down the progression of heart disease, you could actually stop it and turn it around and open up the arteries again. And that just put nutrition in a whole different sphere. And, and our work has done something similar, but with regard to diabetes. So we would bring in people who had diabetes and find that if you stop worrying about things like sugar or carbohydrate, and you start focusing on the actual cause of the disease, which is related to what people are eating, you can do the same thing. You can put the brakes on this disease. In some cases, you turn it around and make it go away. And so I have to say for the last couple of decades, um, doctors have been getting really quite enthusiastic about this. Well, well, I shouldn't say that. They're in two camps. There are doctors who are embracing this and using it, and their patients are delighted. And there's a whole group of doctors who are kind of the, in the Neanderthal school of medicine where they're just not there yet, and um, they need to be. But, but but I guess what I'm saying in, a, in, in this long-winded way is that at the time, doctors weren't too keen on this and perhaps for good reason because they, they just didn't have the research but we, we've got it now and we've got to use it just going back to you talking about you know changing my you know my own mother and my grandfather I remember he had heart disease and she's had high cholesterol and, and a family history of heart disease and diabetes so doctors would say to her you know switch to chicken or switch to fish and it's been such a strong message and I was wondering if you could talk a bit about why switching to chicken and fish isn't enough. Well, with regard to diabetes, um, we have a, just a completely different view of this disease than we had a couple of decades ago. And and in fact, let me just take a minute and I'll describe it. Because um, what your average person thinks is diabetes means you've got too much sugar in the blood and that sugar is glucose and the blood levels of it are too high. And that's all true. Um, but then they say, well, where did the sugar come from? Sugar comes from eating sugar, uh, or sugar comes from starchy foods like potatoes or bread or rice. And as they digest, they release sugar into the blood. That's all true too. However, um, sugar is good. Uh, Glucose is good. 
it's glucose is your body's favorite fuel, um, but it's only good if it gets into your muscle cells where it can power them or gets into your liver cells where it can turn the machinery of doing the things the liver does. Or if it goes to the brain, it can do some work, good work. Um, where sugar is not so good is if it can't get into the cells and it just stays circulating in the bloodstream, creating mischief. And that's diabetes. So for most people with diabetes, that's it. It doesn't, they don't go any further. They just say, well, too much sugar. Don't eat sugar. Don't eat bread. Um, Researchers at Yale University in New Haven, Connecticut, took people into the scanning unit. Uh, they put them through a, what, an MRI, magnetic resonance imagery, except it's magnetic resonance spectroscopy. And you can look into the muscle cells and you find something astounding, that the reason the sugar isn't getting into the cell is because the cell is filled with little fat particles. And those fat particles came from your chicken salad sandwich um, or your pepperoni pizza or your fried chicken or your wild caught salmon. And if the fat particles get into the muscle cells or into the liver, liver cells, they interfere with insulin, which is the hormonal key that's supposed to open up that cell to let the sugar inside. So make it short and sweet. The cause of type 2 diabetes starts with insulin resistance. This is the buildup of fat inside the muscle and liver cells. That keeps the sugar out. So what are you doing if you're not eating rice anymore? You're not doing anything. That doesn't help. Or switching from beef to chicken, that doesn't help. What you ought to do is throw the animal products out of your diet 100%. That means there's no animal fat left. Keep oils low, and suddenly all that built-up fat particle glob inside of every muscle cell starts to dissipate. And the insulin key can suddenly open the door to the cell to let the sugar in, and the blood sugar starts falling and falling and falling. And sometimes the patient's diabetes is just cured. And you know, when I was in medical school, we never thought, we didn't know that. You know, the patients hadn't gone through MR spectroscopy yet, so we hadn't measured it. But now, um, not only do we know that's the cause, but I can send a patient into MR spectroscopy. I can watch them getting better from the inside out. And in my view, there's no excuse for any doctor not providing exactly this treatment for type 2 diabetes. Well, it's, it's such a... It's my, my grandmother, she lost both her legs to, di, to, to diabetes. Um, I'm and, sorry to hear that. Yeah, it, was, it was awful. Well, that, should, that, that, that just should not... That, that should never, ever happen. Yeah, and after speaking to you and the guests on my show, you think, oh my gosh, all these people who are losing their legs. You know, we had Mark Ramirez on the show. I don't know if you know him. Yeah, yeah sure do. But his whole family had, you know, had amputations and kidney transplants from type 2 diabetes. And, you, and you're listening to him telling his story and, and knowing what I know from listening to doctors like yourself and talking to the guests on my show. It's just, it's just heartbreaking that these people are being so devastated by diabetes unnecessarily. Yes, well, that, that's right. And um, I don't mean to say that this diet change is magic. Um, the diet change I've described is the best that we have. Um, and, but by that, I mean it's vegan, no animal products. You keep the oils really low. And, and hopefully whatever else you're eating is also health, healthy choices. Um, but there are some people who are going to still need medication, particularly if they have let the, the disease fester for a long period of time. If I get you at the time you're diagnosed, typical case, 55-year-old guy, he's gained a lot of weight, he's got type 2 diabetes, he's just tipping into it, he's diagnosed. You take that person 
throw all the animal products out, keep the oils really low, your chance of making that diet, that disease go away, it's just really, really high. So I, I would do that. And, and if we don't, it's not just that a patient might lose their feet. Ugh, I mean, that, that should never have, but, it, but, but it's not just that. Um, they could go blind. They lose about, on average, about 15 years of life. Um, and along the way, they're in and out of doctor's offices, they're in and out of pharmacies, they're charged an arm and a leg for the various kinds of medications. Um, it's, anyway, um, that's all the bad news. The good news is this can change. <laughs> this, this can change, and many, many people like Mark Ramirez, whom you mentioned, are embracing a healthy diet, and, and after they get there, they are healthier than they were before they had diabetes. You know, um, I know Mark and he's slim and he's athletic and he's um, he's an inspiration. Uh, you, you know, you probably know he was a football player, a star football player in, in Michigan. And, uh, he, you know, but he kept eating like a football player and he got into trouble, but but he then discovered uh, what you were, had been talking about and, and um, made his diabetes go away. And he's been just a wonderful inspiration to other people. He has. He has. Mark, if you're listening, hello. I love, you know, his episode, I don't know what number it is. I'll post it in the show notes, but he's just, his story is, it is, it's truly inspirational. I absolutely love the work that he's doing, sharing his message around the US especially. I was going to ask you about type 1 diabetes. What happens there and and can a plant-based diet help at all in that situation? Um, yes, it can help hugely, um, but it's a, it's a it's a different scenario. And and here here's the difference. So far, we've been talking about type two. That's the really common type, and that's where the cells are filled with fat, and um, the insulin that your pancreas is making just doesn't work very well uh, because the cell is filled with all those fat particles. Type one is much rarer. It's um, oh fewer than 10% of cases of diabetes. But um, in this case, it's different. The cells in the pancreas that produce insulin are dead. They've been killed off. Um, and so the body isn't making insulin anymore, and so the patient has to inject it. But um, a vegan, low-fat diet, as I described, is still the way to go because it does two things. The first is, for whatever reason, it greatly reduces the amount of insulin that patients need to inject. And I don't know entirely why that is. I've assumed that it's because they have the buildup of fat particles in their muscles too. And so that if they um, uh, follow a diet that helps that fat to, to, uh, to dissipate, they're going to need less insulin. I think that's probably what's going on. But we see insulin doses drop 30% or more. Um, the second thing, and the really important thing, is that what's going to kill a person with type 1 diabetes is cardiovascular disease. Um, this disease attacks the arteries, the arteries to the heart, to the brain, to the kidneys. Um, you don't want any cholesterol in your diet. You don't want any animal fat in your diet. You want to baby those arteries. So you want to be on a really, really healthy diet. And there's one way to get the cholesterol out and, and only one way. That's a vegan diet because eggs and dairy and animal products of all kinds have cholesterol in them. And uh, <clears throat> so you, you want to follow that diet. And, and there's one other thing. I do believe that a low-fat plant-based diet may well help prevent type 1 diabetes, at least in some cases. And what got us thinking about this is that if you look at kids who are breastfed as opposed to bottle-fed, they have a lot less type 1 diabetes. You think, what's that about? Well, they're getting milk from a human being. I know this sounds kind of kooky to say, but a formula-fed baby is getting milk from a cow that has been processed into 
uh, baby formula, but the cow's proteins and others are, are, are not human proteins. A, a breastfed baby is getting exactly what nature had in mind, milk from your mom. Um, cow's milk is, you know, sort of similar, but it's not the same any more than you would give your child raccoon milk or rat milk or horse milk or any of that stuff. Uh, and, and I know culturally we've decided, no, this is perfectly normal. Give the kids milk from a cow. Um, in some kids, there's evidence that that sets up an autoimmune response to the milk protein. Those, the antibodies that are produced by that autoimmune response then destroy the insulin producing cells. That's a theory, but there's a lot of evidence supporting it. And rather than waiting for the scientists to decide whether it's really true or not, I think that, that parents should always, always, always breastfeed the child unless there is, unless for whatever reason it's absolutely impossible. It's, it's, it's usually possible and, you know, it's, it's not necessarily comfortable at first. It's, it's awkward, you know, it's not, it doesn't feel very natural to women uh, in some cases, but with a little help and encouragement and, um, and understanding at work, um, we can make this happen. I think I think on that note, for myself, I breastfed my children. I know a lot of women in, in my age bracket who struggled. Like I, I thought it would be easy, and then I had real difficulty with my first, and it took us six weeks to even latch to get any kind of. It was so, and you, when you're a mom, you're so worried about them losing weight, and you have all these fears and this anxiety about doing the right thing and getting the food to them, and and I know a lot of women who stopped because. But for me, I really found that reaching out and getting support to breastfeed and getting, making sure that you've talked to a lactation consultant or a midwife or, or someone who's really done well at breastfeeding. I, I was on the phone to them all the time and I'm just mentioning it for anyone listening who has struggled. I definitely hear you because there's so many different things that can contribute to it being difficult. But if you just keep talking to people and don't give up, it, you know, I'd, Lots of people give up before. My mum gave up. I was the longest breastfed child she had, and that was four weeks that she breastfed me for. But it was six weeks before I'd even managed to latch my my mine. And you just have to kind of see if you can get the support you need to p- pursue it. Because then we ended up breastfeeding for three three years for both children for me. Yeah. Well, your your kids are lucky to have you for for a mom. I have to tell you. Um, I've often wondered if if perhaps maybe many long years ago when people lived more in villages and we had our extended family around. Uh, I'm wondering if maybe that added support might have made it easier. Um, I, I don't know, but, but, um, but I've been impressed by the fact that support is really critically important. And, and in the workplace, sometimes it's not made super easy. And my feeling is, come on, people, <laughs> this is part of life. Um, let's, just, let's make it work um, to the extent we can. I, th- I think also we have a society where we, we support by saying it's okay to give up. I think that's also an issue where, where we're often really, really quick to say, oh, you're struggling and I don't want to see you struggle, so have, give them the bottle. Do you know what I mean? I think that happens as well a lot where we're like, oh, we love you and you're suffering and it's difficult. Just try some formula. It's easier and it's quick and they'll be fed and that's okay. And I think that, that I saw that I've seen that a lot in in my circles of of mothers that it's you love people, and so you just say, "Oh, well, look, it looks like it's really hard. Maybe it's not for you. Don't worry about it." Then, and I think that that's also a bit of an issue. We're killing people with our kindness. <laughs> well, I, I wonder if you're not touching perhaps on on a, even a broader phenomenon that we that we treat 
many, many people in a slightly infantilizing way. Um, for example, um, you've got diabetes. Uh, I don't mean you, but, the, but somebody listening to this program, you've got diabetes. Um, oh, isn't a vegan diet hard? Well, just do the best you can. Just take baby steps. Just make the little by little changes. I mean, you're killing the patient with that kind of rotten advice. The fact, what I would rather, in, we have a clinic here called the Barnard Medical Center in Washington, D.C. And our doctors know that they are, yes, they're doctors, but they're really like a coach. And they believe in every single patient. And they, they see inside that patient, there's an Olympian in there. Um, so what do you mean you can't do a vegan diet? Of course you can. It's easy. Um, and, and by the way, everybody who works in our clinic follows a, a plant-based diet too. So they all know it's, you know, it's doable. Um, and you, you just, you know the people will goof up. But, but every patient is like an athlete who might have fallen down or might have had a problem or didn't have such a great game. But you love them back. You believe in them. And, and yeah, you can breastfeed hopefully. Yeah, you can, you can tackle this disease. Let's, let's, let's just make it work. Um, so, you know, not, not everything's, not everything's perfect, but I think we can do a lot. That's touching on a thing, a point I wanted to make, um, when you were talking about yourself and Dean and, and the work that you're doing was that when people come in, cause you know, I support people now with tr- transitioning to a plant-based diet and it, it is something that I, I find it difficult because people come in and they say, and when I was first di- diagnosed with MS, my parents would say, oh, you've already got MS just eat whatever you want. And the neurologist would say, Corinne, you've already got MS, just eat whatever you want. Diet's not going to do anything and it's hard and it's yuck and just eat whatever you want. And that message all the time. And when I'm when you're supporting people, I guess that is, and I wanted to hear them tell me, you can eat whatever you want because I wanted to keep eating the food that was making me sick because I loved it. And it wasn't until I couldn't feel my legs that I was like, oh gosh, you know, <laughs> I have to stop eating whatever I want. It's not delicious enough to not be able to feel anything from the waist down. But with your with your patients and with Dean's patients, what do you think helps them to make the change and stick to the change? Well, for us, it's really easy because we have a, a setup here that makes change super, super simple. And, and But I have to tell you, anybody can do this at any clinic and anybody at home could do it. Here's, here's the way we do it. Um, patient comes in, they've got a problem, um, asthma, MS, um, diabetes, you know, they, they might have a problem that's either minor or, or very, very serious. Um, and whatever other treatments they need, we're going to clean up their diet in a big way because for a lot of them, that's a huge part of the issue. Okay. So, um, we first explain the role of diet. So if it's diabetes, I'm going to explain the fat inside the muscle cells, or if it's, or if it's MS, we need to talk about the research that's been done on diet changes. Cause for many people, that's totally new, including doctors and medical students. They may not have read about it despite the fact, may, may I chastise them a little bit, despite the fact it's been published in really good journals over a long period of time that they didn't bother to read. But that is the main. Okay, so step one, you've got to explain to the patient what's going on. It doesn't have to be a lengthy description. They don't have to even believe it, but you owe it to them to explain what we're doing. Then step two, um, we will, the doctor will, or a nurse practitioner who's ever seeing the patient will say, here's how the diet works. Um, I'm going to refer you to our dietitian, and the dietitian then sees them uh, over a half hour or an hour with their reluctant spouse and goes through what a healthy diet is going to be. And you write down the whole menu and the patient can take it home and they understand this and they can, it's got, they have shopping lists and everything. And then we say, I know you're feeling a little bit unsure about all this. So what are you doing Monday? We've got a class on Monday, starts at six o'clock. 
and the patients come into the class and they're all just like, they're like teenagers at a dance. They're sitting around the room kind of unsure and feeling awkward. And I, I don't really, you know, I don't know, I don't know. Um, and sooner or later, they start getting into the diet change and, and they, they meet week after week after week. And you never confront their skepticism. You just show them how it works. Um, and then what you see is that as time goes on, they get into it and the diet change starts to take hold and they start sharing success stories. They get totally pumped up because what you've changed is their culture. They're surrounded by people who are going in the right direction. And the way that they actually jump into the, the diet is this. Um, I'll say two steps. You take seven days. The first seven days, you're not actually eliminating anything. You're just trying new options. So let's see, every day I have uh, milk in my, you know, milk on my cereal. Um, I never tasted almond milk, so I, I guess I could try that. They're just trying new things. They're not taking anything out. They, they might still be eating unhealthy things, but they're testing out the almond milk, the veggie sausage, the, the bean burrito, whatever it is. After seven days, they figured out what they like for breakfast or lunch or dinner that happens to be plant-based. Then, so that's step one, one week. Step two, three weeks. You're going to do it all vegan, all the time. So no animal products, but it's easy to do because you've already picked out the foods that you like in the first week. And um, it's only three weeks. So, I mean, you can do anything for three weeks. And you're going to come to our class every week and get support and we'll answer your questions. At the end of three weeks, two things have happened. First, people are physically different. They've lost weight. Their digestion is better. Their glucose is coming down. They're, they're starting to see physical changes. But the other thing is their tastes are starting to change in ways they didn't expect. Um, and so the two steps, step one, do you take a week and just test out the possibilities? Step two, three weeks of actually doing it, uh, all vegan all the time, but only for three weeks, that's all it takes. At the end of that time, you're a different person. And people realize, this is like easier than I thought. Um, let's do it another week. And pretty soon it becomes permanent. I think that's the, the, it's such a doable thing. The seven days of trying, just trying things. I think that that's fun and makes it curious and fun and interesting for people. And then the three weeks all vegan. I think that that's really, it's a really great way to do it because you're not taking anything away for that first seven days when people are already overwhelmed and they're <laughs> stressing out about losing everything. So giving them that seven days just to go, keep eating everything that you were eating, but try some quinoa or try some oat milk or try a bean burrito. I think that that's such a, it's a more kind way <laughs> rather than just stripping everything out all at once. Now, I do have to say that not everybody is a complete food addict. There are people who I say, just for this week, you don't have to get rid of anything. They come back a week later and they say, I went vegan. I did it. And I'm glad. You know, the, the people, it's, it's like quitting smoking. There are some people for whom it's a, really a job. And there are others who they just put it out and they're done. Um, so you can just never tell. But I have to say, I have never seen anyone unable to do these two steps. Um, and what often happens is their families get into it, too. And that's really great when that happens because he might have heart disease, but she might have arthritis or, or diabetes or a couple of pounds she wants to lose. And they get healthy together. And that's just a, a great thing to see. I love I love, I love, when that happens. And I think that that's happened to lots of guests on the show as well. And it goes back to what you're talking about. When you have that community and in, in what you're talking about with your program, you're giving people a community each week. And 
And I, I think that every guest at the end of each episode, we say, what's your three biggest tips? And almost without fail, everyone says, get people around you, whether that's online or whether that's in, in, in your immediate circle. Like Try and get your friends to do this with you because it just helps when you have a support network who are all doing this thing that seems so out of the ordinary together. Yeah, and luckily... Um, you might be alone, you might not have family members, but you can still be part of a community. Um, and I have to say the internet has made that possible um, because people can find all kinds of internet communities, whether it's a Facebook page or, or we have our Kickstart program, which is on iPhones and Androids and it's free. And so for a 21 day period, you've got videos um, and people sharing with you. So you're really not alone. You're never alone um, with this kind of approach. So. That's been a really cool thing. That's wonderful. So is a Kickstart program an app or is it a website? It's an app. Everyone, download. <laughs> well, it's both. It's, both. <laughs> it's free. Um, it's both. It started out as a website and you would, it was um, the 21-day vegan Kickstart. You'll see this. If you go online, 21-day vegan Kickstart, um, you get 21 days of emails with recipes and menus and so forth. And we did it in English, Spanish, Mandarin. Um, a program for people from India, a Japanese program. But then um, about end of last year, we switched we, or we, we um, began an uh, iPhone app and an Android app in English and Spanish. And so far we've had, I think, maybe 65, 70,000 people have jumped into it. And it's fun. And it's free. It's free. And we're not, we're not selling anything. We're not selling food products. You know, I mean, no, no, there, there's no commercial sponsor for it. It's sponsored by the Physicians Committee. So I, we, to tell you the truth, uh, I'm hoping that doctors will really recommend this to their patients. Many of them do because they say, here's, here are resources beyond what you can have here in our clinic. Um, and that plus people are a little bit phone addicted, I have to say. So why, why not give them a, I'm going to give them a little healthy addiction on their iPhone. I think that's really, really wonderful because it is true. They are. Unfortunately, we are addicted to our phones and it is a captive space uh, to have something that is a po- that is a positive is a positive app rather than just having a toxic one that's just telling you why you're not as good as your next door neighbor or your high school friend. This is much not. This is much nicer and much right. more. Um, exactly. Yeah, hopeful as far as your health goes. So I think it's great. So twenty-one day vegan kickstart. Oh yeah, we have all kinds of stuff like that. Um, for doctors, we have a thing called Nutrition CME. That's Continuing Medical Education. Nutrition CME. It's this is a website. I'll put this all all these links in the show notes as well. Oh great, thank you. NutritionCME.org, and it's free. And um, there's a lot of continuing medical education sponsored by drug companies, but ours is. Um, how to everything you need to know about nutrition. There's it's videos, it's all kinds of stuff. We have an annual conference, the International Conference on Nutrition in Medicine. And in fact, I would invite everybody to get out of Australia um, in ju- July when you don't want to be there anyway. Um, and, you, and you can come here to Washington where it's swelteringly hot. Um, and uh, we have our international conference uh, every July. This year it's July 25th, 26th, and 27th. And it's a, it's a blast. That you're going to be around just about a thousand other doctors and healthcare practitioners and every meal is vegan. It's just really a trip and a half. Uh, and by the way, um, Ashley Bush is a, a, a wonderful Australian researcher who's a great expert in Alzheimer's disease. And he's going to be coming in and speaking at our conference this year. Ashley Bush. Yes, yes. He's, he's a person you ought to get to know. Um, he's done really wonderful work on Alzheimer's disease. Is he? So he's a doctor? 
Um, he's a, he's a really, really um, well-known researcher in Alzheimer's. I was going to ask you about a, que- a question that's close that I, I think is really important for me and I think for people who are listening. When, when you're talking about nutrition CME, I think many of us, when we're searching online for a doctor who's open to talking about a whole food plant-based diet, it's really hard especially in Australia, we find it really difficult to find one. And I, I always just reference Dr. Malcolm Mackay because he's like one of the only ones that I know in Melbourne here, or Anthony Hodge, but it's difficult. And so I was wondering, how would you, what would you think, could patients approach their doctors and recommend that they check out Nutrition CME in a way that they wouldn't be offended by? <laughs> what do you think would be a way that patients could say, could you check this out <laughs> without... Yeah. Um, well, f- first of all, let me say a couple of things. Um, your doctor doesn't really have to be a nutrition expert in my belief. You, um, you know, your doctor has to be able to provide good diagnostic care and they have to be able to follow you and monitor you. How is your condition going? But the nutrition advice might really come from a, a dietitian or, or somebody else. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily fire your doctor if he or she is, isn't too swift with regard to nutrition, um, but they should not talk you out of a healthy diet change. That's important. Well, my my doctor tries to do, tries to do that. He always says, "Corinne, it's." He always says, "I love I love him," and I'm not going to fire him. But he always says, "Corinne, it's easy to be, you know, it's easy to get everything you need on a traditional on a Western diet. It's easy to get all the nutrients that you need. It's it's much more difficult to get everything that you need on a vegan diet." And I always think, "Oh, shush." <laughs> Let me, say, let me say a word to your doctor. If your doctor is listening, there is plenty of good science out there showing that nutrition on a vegan diet is not just as good, but it is better than on uh, an omnivorous diet. We have studied this very carefully in our nutrition research studies. And let me tell you lovingly that when a person switches from a diet based on meat, which has no fiber and no vitamin C and lots of saturated fat and cholesterol, to a diet based on vegetables and fruits and whole grains and beans, which are loaded with vitamins and loaded with fiber, they don't have the saturated fat and cholesterol, their nutrition is demonstrably and quantifiably better. Um, Now, this doesn't mean that you should follow just any old kind of diet. You should get vegetables, fruits, whole grains, and beans. You should supplement vitamin B12. If you do those things, you're gonna have a great, great diet. And so doctors should, I'm sorry, doctors have no business telling patients that nutrition on an omnivorous diet is anywhere near as good as it's gonna be on a vegan diet because you're hurting patients when you say that. Thank you. Just going back to type 2 diabetes, when you're working with those with people with type 2 diabetes who may be overweight and may be f- food addicts, do you find that the four-week program that they need extra support if they also have food addiction? Yes. Um, and, and by the way, I didn't mean that the, the program is only four weeks. What I meant was that in, in, in four weeks, a person's life has really changed in a very major way. But we encourage people to continue every week. And so our clinic here offers classes every week that a person can attend for free forever, for as long as they want to. And so for most people, they need more than four weeks. And, and let's face it, you're acquiring some skills. So you might need a little cooking class here and there. We do grocery store tours. Um, so it takes a little time. And if you think about it, when you made a transition, by four weeks you were, you do a lot, but there's still a lot of learning to still do. Um, so yeah, uh, I, 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 th- I think it's, it's good to allow people a little bit more time than that. 
oh, oh, by the way, oh, you, asked about, you asked about food addiction. Um, one other thing I should say about food addiction. I think everyone has food addictions. I, th I think they're universal. And that's for two reasons. Um, one is that the food companies are just <laughs> making it hard to not get addicted. I mean, everywhere you go, they're dangling candy bars in front of you. Um, and the second thing is that your brain anatomy is such that it is subject to these things. You have dopamine uh, neurotransmitters in little vesicles in your neurons ready to be squirted out from one cell to the next in response to extremely palatable foods. So we're set up for it. And there are some people where these take over their lives more and some where they take over their lives less. But where we're especially vulnerable is if we are alone, if we are overworked, if we are tired, if we are burdened, um, if we're angry, all of these things make addictions call out to us because they happen to be the best friend you've got. Um, and so we substitute um, a group of people that you just met four weeks ago, and we're going to get together every week and support you on a better wow. path. Recently, I met a woman who had binge eating disorders, and I've met people with binge eating disorders a lot throughout my own life. And when you ask them to go on a restrictive diet, it can trigger that binge eating disorder more. And what, what do you suggest for those people? Well, the worst thing to do is to be on a calorie-restricted diet. That's really tough. And a lot of people have done that. Um, because they're gaining a bit of weight, they're thinking, well, I should try to starve it off. And so they're eating really tiny portions. And by about Wednesday, they're ready to eat the sofa. Um, and they really do binge. Um, that's why a vegan diet is so good, because it's high in fiber, which fills you with not too many calories. And so you're able to eat and really get that sensation of, I'm eating a fair amount of food here. Um, but I think a person needs to go further than that. It's, it's, it's good to get your culture together so that you're with, surrounded by people who are following a healthy diet. It's good to get some rest. Sometimes the binge eating occurs entirely between about nine o'clock and midnight. Um, and sometimes if a person is able to go to bed earlier, you know, when you're unconscious, you can't go to the refrigerator for ice cream. Um, so, uh, and if people have physical activity in their lives and things like that, they can, they can turn the volume Absolutely. down on some of these addictions. I, I did a three day water fast, a, a, like a, a year or two ago. And I just said to my husband, I'm going to bed. So I'm not thinking about food <laughs> for, for the whole time. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's, a, that's it's, it's a good thing to do. And, and if you go to bed and you're lying there and you're unable to sleep, it's often important to have preceded that with some physical activity. So if, you're, if your day was a busy one and your muscles are a little tired out or maybe you did some push-ups or sit-ups or pull-ups or something so that your muscles are just a little strained. I'm not talking about a set of tennis, but I'm just saying use your body a little bit so that when you lie down, your body wants to become unconscious and wants to sleep. Then you'll you'll wake up in the morning with more resilience than you would otherwise have. If you've had a really rotten night, uh, you stayed up too late, you got up too early, you're going to eat anything just to get through the day. So it's it's good to be physically active and get a good sleep. Absolutely, and I think as a as a mum of young children, I think so many mums I know are just relying on you know cake, biscuits, chips, whatever to get us through those sleepless nights with with little with with infants. And, and also because you don't have that community as much because you're so busy prioritizing your, your young children, it can be really difficult. So what you're saying about getting some exercise and really trying to 
reduce stress stresses in your life while you during that period it sounds like that would be a good thing to do as well to help them not reach for the chips it's it's not it's not easy and um i mean and what i mean is modern life is not easy um and there will be times when you're under stress no matter what you're trying to do um if you goof up this is not necessarily a moral thing just um forgive yourself you know dust yourself off get back on the wagon and and, and uh, take it from there. Awesome. Now, I want to, before you leave, because I really want to make sure, because I, as I said at the start, I loved your book, The Cheese Trap. And I wanted for people, because everyone that you meet on the street is addicted to cheese and loves loves cheese and would go vegan except for cheese or would, you know, would are all plant-based except for cheese. I hear this all the time from my friends. You know, I couldn't give up cheese. I couldn't give up, you know, wine and cheese or champagne and cheese. I wanted I wanted to just talk to you about it and see, like, what, how do you think people could transition away from cheese if they're finding it difficult? Well, a couple of things. The first thing is to understand what cheese really is and what it's doing to them. It's 70% fat, uh, 7 zero mostly saturated fat. That's the fat that's associated, associated with high cholesterol levels with Alzheimer's disease. Um, it has hormones in it. It has estrogens that come from the fact that the cow has been making these hormones and packing them into milk and it's more concentrated into cheese. Now, it's only traces of estrogens. It's not a lot, but evidence suggests that it is enough to affect body chemistry, both for men and women. Um, it's probably the most fattening food that there is, um, or certainly right up there. Uh, it's higher in salt than potato chips, um, and it's just an unhealthy food. For those people who are vegetarian or almost vegan because of animals, it's important for them to, I think, understand um, that the dairy industry is like a meat industry. Um, by that, I mean the cows are all killed by about age four. You know, in nature, a cow would live to be 20, but on dairy farms, they just feel they're not cranking out enough milk. So by the time they're four, they're, they're pretty much all dead. Um, and in, before that happens, they're artificially inseminated every year. They produce a calf and they start producing milk. Their calves are taken away. If the calves are males, males they're killed for veal. There would be no veal if it weren't for the dairy industry. If their calves are females, they'll grow up to be dairy cows who are uh, impregnated themselves and ultimately killed. So it's a grotesquely cruel industry and a harshly anti-environmental industry too. So, and the reason I mention all of these not so attractive facts is if a person is looking at that thinking, can I make a difference? Does this really matter? The answer is, this matters hugely. Um, the, whether it's the animals or the environment or your coronary arteries or, or your kids, all of these things hang in the balance of the food choices that we make. And for those people who's, there's two things I wanted to, you, that you touched on that I just wanted to follow up because I think that that's the, the, the comeback and one was cholesterol and how nowadays people are saying healthy animal fats like milk and cheese and ghee and that, that the cholesterol issue that they used to be was, was, was really strong in the 80s, that that's now been debunked and now animal cholesterol is really good for us and we should be, we should be eating it. It's sugar that's the problem and not the cholesterol. What do you say to those people who are saying, oh, yeah, but that's been, that's old science. You know, this cholesterol is good for us now. Healthy fats. Yeah, it's, it's really a funny thing. I think it was 2008 that the dairy industry, the global dairy platform got together at a conference in Mexico. 
And they actually published documents saying that they were going to try to rehabilitate the, the view of dairy fat because it's, it's the biggest source of saturated fat. And similarly, the um, Egg Nutrition Center, which is an American, um, what we call a government checkoff program that is designed to promote eggs, did the same thing about dietary cholesterol. They said, we're going to try to make dietary cholesterol look good. And they, the science is still the same. <laughs> if you eat an egg, your cholesterol is going to go up a little or a lot. Um, it doesn't go down. It doesn't say the same on average. Um, and if you eat saturated fat, your cholesterol does, in fact, get worse. Um, but people have bought the marketing aspect of it. Um, and I'm sorry to say it's a lie. Uh, we have now, uh, people have worse obesity than ever, more diabetes than ever, despite the fact that sugar intake, at least here in the US, has been dropping for about 20 years. Um, people still wanna blame sugar for all these problems. Uh, cheese is going way, way up, sugar is going down, and people still wanna blame a cookie. Now, now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that sugar is health food. You know, even if it's Dr. Pepper, it's still, I'm not talking about this being health food. Um, but what I, what I mean to say is that the animal products are as big a problem as they ever were. Okay, and my last point on that was when you're talking about estrogens in dairy and everyone says, well, I'm going to have dairy because soy milk has got phytoestrogens, which are going to give me man boobs and cancer, breast cancer. What do you say to those people? Okay, um, we have luckily had more than enough time to study these things, and the research is really quite clear um, that what we're talking about in soy products are what are called isoflavones. And isoflavones are compounds that to some extent may actually uh, affect the estrogen receptors. Um, but if your foot goes in your car, your foot can go on the gas or it could go on the brake. And so the question is, um, what are isoflavones doing? And with regard to women in cancer, what we've found is that the isoflavones and, and soy in general reduces breast cancer risk by maybe about 30% for those women who consume the most, uh, soy milk, tofu, other soy products. They have about a 30% reduction in their risk of breast cancer compared to women who avoid these things. Uh, for women already diagnosed with cancer, those who consume the most soy, again, have about a 30% reduction in the likelihood of dying of their cancer. Um, conversely, women who consume the most uh, high-fat dairy like butter and cheese, um, have been shown to have about a 49% higher risk of, of dying of their cancer. So soy is not the issue. If a man has man boobs um, that does not come from soy, it, it may come from his having gained weight from eating so darn much cheese and so forth over time, because then his body fat is making estrogens um, as a result of that. No, so soy products get a, a not guilty verdict. They're not mandatory. You don't have to have them, um, but they don't cause man boobs. They don't cause cancer. If anything, they reduce the risk. So before we go, because I know it doesn't take up too much of your time, I have two more things. You've already given us a lot with your Kickstart program and your 21-day vegan Kickstart and the Nutrition CME, but where else can people find you and follow you and read your books and all those things? Oh, well, well thank you. Um, luckily, we're all, all, we are all over the internet. Um, you'll find my books on Amazon and everywhere else. Um, I have a relatively new book that's uh, called The Vegan Starter Kit which every other book I wrote is big enough to prop open a door, but this one is a t tiny little book that you can read in 45 minutes and you'll feel confident about how to go vegan. And early next year, I'm coming out with a new book all about how foods affect, foods affect hormones. And we're talking about fertility and cramps and menopause and hormone-related cancers. I'm really, really excited about it. Um, super important book. 
Oh my gosh, so many friends of my women friends of mine with hormone issues with hormones are going to be so I'm I'm giving them all your book for Christmas. <laughs> when is it coming okay. out? Um, well, it's coming out after Christmas. It's coming out in February. Next Christmas. Oh. <laughs> Christmas 220. Let's talk let's let's talk again and I'll and I'll I'll give you the lowdown on the on this book. It's an important thing. Um and 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 we're all over face, you know, the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine or if you search my name, um you'll see them uh on uh on all of these platforms. And um, I have a group of friends as well who are um, trying to reach people's hearts as well as their head. And so we, they actually do lots of music, which you'll also see on the internet, which has been lots and lots of fun. Do you so, play um, in this? Do you play in the music? In the band, oh, well, you, 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 might have, you might have heard of the group. It's called Carbon Works, as in we are made of carbon and these are our works. And if you, if you look up Carbon Works on uh, YouTube, um, you'll see it. I am going to look it up today. Now, before you go, last but not least, what would be your three biggest tips to anyone who's listening who may be wanting to make a transition to a whole food plant-based diet? Okay. Um, I think the first thing is, is you want to learn about why you might wish to make this change. Um, because many people, as you were saying, they might have issues, whether it's MS or diabetes or some weight we'd like to lose. That's our motivator, but we might not have connected it to food. So we want to get educated to the extent that we can. That's why people like me write books and, and share our, our research. And I hope that's been useful to, to other people. The second thing I would say is I, I don't think people need to give up their skepticism. This is not a religion. Um, you, you try it in the same way as you try a medication. Um, and if it works for you, great. If it doesn't work for you, there's no, no great sin. So don't feel that you have to change your personality or anything else. You just have to give it a try over a short period of time. The third thing I would say is make noise. It's important not to just keep information to yourself. If you found a good recipe or a good product or a good book or a good website or a new cool movie, um, share it with everybody you know. Because a doctor in a really busy day might see 20 patients, but you reach more people like that in one social media post, and you have no idea whose life you're going to save. But I guarantee you, you will do exactly that. So we got to make noise. Make noise. That's the first make noise tip I've ever had on this show, and it's such a good tip and people don't like making noise people 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 struggle to like posts these days because it's it's like people hoard their likes <laughs> away on social media but it's such a great point and that's why I love liking posts and sharing posts and loving them because you're spreading a message you know hold, withholding your likes is withholding the chance for somebody else to be moved or touched by the information that you're enjoying Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and you're doing that. So thank you for allowing me to share this time with you. And hopefully we made a little bit of good noise together. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Neil. Likewise. Thank you so much. <sighs> thank you so much, Dr. Neil Barnard, for coming on the show. Thank you all so much for listening. And again, please check out pcrm.org the Kickstart program app, the 21-Day Vegan Kickstart, Nutrition CME, follow PCRM on social media, buy all of Dr. Neil Barnard's books because they are life-changing. He is an absolutely incredible author and writer and researcher and doctor, and his work is helping so many over in the United States and across the world who are listening to his app in Spanish and I think it was even in other languages as well, as he said in the show. 
there is just so many benefits to educating yourself. So if you're struggling to keep to stick to a low-fat, whole-food, plant-based diet, I highly recommend following his tips, which are remembering your why and then not giving up on your scepticism and making some noise, but also, as he says in the why, educating yourself. You know, if you're saying, oh, you know, I've listened to Corinne's podcasts, but I'm still not, I'm still on the fence or it's still not enough for me. I still can't help reaching for the chips. I still can't help eating cheese at a, at a party. You know, the more you read books like the books of Dr. Neil Barner, the more you read books like How Not to Die or or the China study, or you watch YouTube videos about whole food plant-based eating, you listen to other incredible podcasts like Howard Jacobson's Plant Yourself podcast, the more you listen to podcasts like The Exam Room and all those kinds of things, the more you educate yourself, the more it won't feel like food. The old food won't feel like food. It'll just feel like, it doesn't feel like food to me. I don't think of cheese as food. I think of it as congealed bovine growth fluid that is meant for a baby cow that is now dead. That's how I think of it. I think of ice cream like that too. I think of all animal meats as pieces of an animal's body that wanted to live that died terrified. And I don't want to eat meat that the energy of that meat is filled with terror. That might seem like kooky gobbledygook there, but for me, I think the there's energy in everything. And when you're eating meat from an animal that wanted to live and was terrified when it died, that goes into us. And I think of that too. And that's not that's not scientific. That's just my own personal little belief. But, you know, I don't want to eat any of those things. It isn't food to me. It belongs to somebody else who wanted to live and didn't want to suffer. Um, but that is only just a small step of information. The other pieces are that they're the, de- the detrimental effects on your health that those non-foods but animal foods that everyone's been conditioned to eat contain. I don't want any part of the, the sickness that they provide for my body. I want to thrive. I've been terribly unwell. I don't want to be- go back to that place again. So it's educating yourself on the health impacts of eating eggs, meat and dairy. I don't want to have any of the health complications from consuming those products. I don't want to have any of the environmental impact that those industries have on our planet. I don't want to contribute to it in that way. For me, it's so much easier to give up those foods than it is for me to put down my smartphone or for me to, you know, but it, but, it, but it's a step and I am hoping to take more and more steps, you know, reducing waste in my home, becoming more minimalist, reducing my reliance on cars and all of those things, making my home more efficient. There are so many steps we can take to helping to heal the planet and reduce our impact on climate change. Eating is such an easy one. It's such an easy one to do. Putting down the animal products makes such a great impact on our personal carbon footprint that it's just a no-brainer for me to take that as well. But learning about and educating yourself about that impact is super important. Just hearing it from me isn't enough, but reading about how animal agriculture affects the rivers, the waterways, the the air, the forest, the deforestation caused by growing crops to feed to an- these animals, oceanic dead zones, there's so much, the, there's just so many ways that this 
is killing our oceans and our planet, this industry, the animal agricultural in- industry. And But when you read about it, it really helps you to go, you know, that's another reason why I can't put this in my mouth. You know, and then the cruelty to animals, as I've just mentioned, but that you show you, there's a, it's three pronged, you know, the, your health, the planet, the animal cruelty. And when you put them all together and you, if you keep reading about it, don't just listen to it once and then after two weeks you've forgotten about it and you go back to eating the way that you were eating before. Find community, keep reading about it, keep it in the forefront of your mind, honestly, because it's the best way for you to prevent chronic disease, the best way for you to prevent irreversible damages to our climate. It's the best way for you to act with compassion towards the animals that we share this earth with. So make it a priority. Make it something that you that you value, um, that becomes part of your moral compass and an ethic that is unwavering. Don't make it a fad. Don't make it a oh, I just do this on Mondays, make it a part of your life because an integral part of your life because it is, there's nothing more important than your health and the health of the planet and the health of the animals that we share this earth with. So keep it in the forefront by joining communities online, making a group in your local area that you can meet up and eat food with, by making friends um, in your area that are also plant-based, by sharing information on social media going to conferences like the conference in Melbourne or the conference in the state, nutrition in healthcare conferences, and learning and learning and learning as much as you can and continuing to learn because the research is growing every day thanks to the likes of people such as Dr. Neil Barnard. So before my nose runs away, thank you again for listening. Thank you for sharing. Please share, comment, like, all of those things because your support literally saves lives and not in a, oh yeah, sure. It really does. You know, people like me who listened to these stories or who who were, they were unable to listen to these. I was unable to, this is, this podcast is a gift to people like myself who in 2004 was laying fetal in bed thinking, oh my gosh, you know, I don't know anyone who's tried a plant-based diet. I feel so alone. But now this podcast exists and many, many podcasts and stories and, you know, Forks Over Knives shares success stories like this all the time. And many of the guests on my show have come from the Forks Over Knives community, which I love so much and I'm so, so grateful for. So your sharing does change lives. Most of these people, we found this way of eating by Googling it when we felt like we had nothing else, no other alternative, but a lifetime of sickness. Finding stories like this and seeing stories like this shared on social media have helped inspire so many people to make great, great, great changes to their health and feel better than they have ever before in their lives. Myself, all the guests on my show have achieved the successes we have largely because we felt so much We were so inspired and we found so much hope in the stories of others who have paved this way before us. So thank you. Please share. And if you have a story like this or you know someone with a story like of a disease reversal with a low-fat, whole-food, plant-based diet, please contact me. I would love to hear from you. Or if you just want to have a chat, contact me. I'd love to hear from you. I love to hear from everyone who writes to me. So I'd be happy to hear from you too. And... I will see you in my Facebook group, 
my Facebook group, Plant Based and Thriving. You can follow me on social media at Corinne Nidja across Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. I'll see you there. Thank you all so much for listening. Bye.